So welcome back. Uh, today we're going to be picking up right where we left off last week in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You will want your Bibles open. I will have some references on the screen, some text on the screen as we'll be going back and forth, but you will need your Bible to be able to read along. Um, I always like to recap uh, what we went over last week, just in case you weren't here or you might need a reminder. Now, last week, we looked at the first nine verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4. We looked at Paul's instructions to be aware that there are going to be those within the church that will fall away from the faith for multiple reasons. There will be those who slowly walk away. They'll drift away slowly. And that they'll say that they are Christ followers, but their actions will slowly prove otherwise. Now, they're going to slowly become consumed, as Paul was saying, uh, with learning about things like demons or angels and mythologies. And ultimately, what Paul was saying last time as we were looking at his words, these pursuits will lead them away from Christ. Um, now, let me put this out there, that knowing about these areas is not a bad thing, having knowledge of these things, but they become a problem when we pursue them at the expense of our pursuit of Christ. Now, while I was in college, I had classes that taught about these very same subjects, about demonology and other angelologies and stuff. I actually had a class called angelology, but they never replaced our study of Jesus Christ. They only supplemented it. And they helped our understanding of his nature. And they always pointed back to him. Now, aside from being pulled away from Christ, these rabbit trail theologies that will happen, Paul also warned that well, there are going to be those who are going to walk away from Christ who are pretending to be super religious. And these are those who are going to try to live by uh, standards that are much higher and much more extensive than Jesus Christ himself sets forth. So think about with me just for a second here. God's standards are so specific, so exacting, that we could never achieve perfection. So he sent his own son, God sent Jesus Christ, to pay the price that we could never pay on our own. All we have to do is believe in faith which becomes evident by the way that we live our lives. And that's the process uh, and how God is set forth. However, there are those out there that say that this is too simple, that there must be something more, that somehow there must be something else that we have to do to get to Jesus. And they raise the bar themselves. They make it more difficult because somehow difficulty, if you've ever been a guy, uh, difficulty makes things more better, right? You know, if I can make it more complicated, obviously I've done a better job. Uh, we've, uh, as men, probably been there once or twice. Jesus recognized that this was going to happen in his time on earth. And do you know how he responded? He said these words, and I want to put these ones on the screen. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With what you measure, you use, it will be measured back to you. So basically, in Pastor Jake lingo, he says, you think what I have done isn't enough? You think that you can do more than I have done for you somehow? Fine, we're going to judge you by your standards instead of mine, and we'll see how short you really fall on these things. How pitiful your attempt at looking good really is. And Jesus says that anyone who thinks that they can earn their way to God 
on their own merits, he'll play that game because he knows that they will fall short every single time, that they will lose that game every single time. The prophet Isaiah said that our works are as filthy rags, that they would not save us. Our works, what we try to do on our own efforts, will not bring us closer to God. The only hope that we have is faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. This actually brings us back to our memory verse, which we have been saying as we've been working through this book. So let's say it one more time together. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's 1 Timothy 6, 12. He says, you have confessed the good confession. Now, we talked about this last time we were together, that this confession is our need for a Savior. We have confessed Christ, is what we say. This verse says, in the presence of many witnesses. Now, we are a church that baptizes believers. Now, this comes from the actions of John, we call the Baptist, and the instructions and examples of Jesus. So, people came to John, and they confessed their sins, and they were baptized there on the spot. Paul says that our baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. And we do this in front of a crowd of witnesses. So the question is, why do we do this in front of a crowd? Why do we baptize in public? Why is it important that our salvation and uh, baptism are confessed in public and in front of other people? Well, this is done for two reasons. Number one, so we can clearly tell others where we stand and who we follow. That makes sense, so everybody knows the choice that we've chosen. And secondly, we do this publicly so other believers can hold us accountable for the commitment that we have made to Christ. This is the reason that weddings are held in front of a crowd, so that the crowd stands as a witness to the vows that have been made for the couple. They are supposed to lift us up, these people around us, They're supposed to help maintain the commitment that we have made and help point us back on the direction should we lose our way. If you've never been baptized, I'd love to talk to you about its importance as you follow Jesus after the service. So if you haven't been baptized, you've been thinking about it, let me know. We'll talk about that. Now, today our uh, sermon title is called Living Examples. Living Examples. We're going to be going through 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 16, and we're going to be covering three points. Point number one is going to be knowing and believing. Second point is going to be walking and talking. And the final one is going to be studying the word. If you like taking notes, today there's going to be a lot of opportunity for taking notes. I do make a weekly bulletin. It's designed for kids in its simplicity, but anybody who wants one can always have one. They're over there in the back. They have some fill in the blanks and they have some coloring pages. We also have crayons available as well should you want to pick them up. Now, first one, knowing and believing. Knowing and believing. Now, if you have your Bibles open, we're going to begin by reading verses 9 and 10 together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I'll be reading out of the New King James as normal. It says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Now here Paul is mentioning this is a faithful saying, and he's referring not forward but backwards to what he just said last time we were together. He was actually referring back to what he just said about exercise and what the most important exercise is. And Paul says there are two different types of exercise. There's physical and there's spiritual exercise. And he said physical, it can have some benefit, but not nearly as much benefit as a spiritual exercise that we exercise our faith in godliness. 
Next, he says, this is why we labor and suffer. And the question is, well, what is his reasoning there? Why do we labor and suffer? Because we trust the living God are his words. Why does he say the living God? You ever wonder that? Why, does, why living God? Because God wasn't made by hands. He was not made by our hands. He's not some wooden image that we worship as so many do. Now, Physical idol worship isn't nearly as popular today as it was back in the first century or even before then. It's kind of fallen by the wayside. But while physical uh, worship uh, of statues is no longer nearly as popular, it doesn't mean that people still don't worship things that men have made. So many worship things, things that we can physically possess, uh, from toys to tools to even shoes. We can worship so many things that men have made. And we can all fall into this trap. And Paul says that we worship the living God who is the savior of all men. The savior of all men. Now, it's easy to look at that verse and there are some that say, well, aha, everyone's gonna get to heaven no matter what because he said the savior of all men, right? Well, no, this is actually an incorrect view of this statement. Here, Paul is referring to a potential not a practice. We all know that a good diet will help us in our health, but there's a huge difference between knowing and doing, especially when you're at a birthday party or even on vacation. And this is what he says, and I'll put these words on the screen. God, who is the savior of all men, comma, especially of those who believe. God has offered salvation to everybody. The men, the women, the children, every single person has an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. There is no bias given here. Everyone is given an equal chance. However, the only people that will benefit from this chance are those who choose to partake in it. And this is why he says, especially to those who believe. Knowing that God exists is not the same thing as trusting him. And this is what Paul is saying. Now, to help drive this home, a friend of mine recently posted this on Facebook. I actually, uh, I thought it was uh, fun and coincidental, but if you know God, there are no coincidences. But, but I love the way that this came off. It says, Satan is a master theologian. He has talked to God. He's interacted with God. He believes in God's existence. And he knows more about God's attributes and abilities than most. Yet Satan doesn't love God. Knowledge about God does not equal faith in God. So think about that just for a moment. How many people do you know that say that they know God, yet their lives look like they believe God is dead? They don't read their Bibles, they don't pray, and they don't follow the teachings of Jesus. Jesus died to save all of mankind. However, he's only the savior of those who choose to place their faith inside him. Those whose public actions reflect the words that they have spoken. And this goes back to the idea that we've talked about earlier, that Timothy has made a public confession of his faith in the presence of many witnesses, which is what our verse says. And now he's living out that testimony. So in verse 11, Paul says that we are to be commanding and teaching upon these very things, that this is the core truth of the gospel, that we must believe, that we must have faith in Christ if we're gonna be partaking of the life that he now offers us. So that brings us to point number two, which is walking and talking. Now, Paul wrote this letter to his young protege, and we know that he was young because of the next verse. So I'm going to put this one on the screen. He says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and impurity. 
Now, Timothy was young. Apparently, he was much younger than the congregation that he is now leading. If you've ever been the new person on the job, especially if you've been much younger than everyone that you may be too familiar with this very position, Timothy is now finding himself inside. I bet he was wondering the same things that I have personally wondered myself. How do I get their respect? How do I get them to listen to me? How do I lead people that are so much further along than myself? Anyone who has found themselves in leadership over others in any position has probably found themselves asking these very same questions. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was a combat engineer. One of the many things I was taught how to do was to build bunkers out of sandbags. I'll put some pictures up. There you go. There, this is over in, I, uh, this is actually Kuwait, actually. This is before we went into Iraq. That's me in the center. You can tell me because, you know, the mask and, you know, you can't really see it, but it's me. I'm the one taking the picture. But anyways, uh, they taught me how to, they taught me explosives. Uh, one really fun part of my time in the Marine Corps. They showed me how to blow up the bunker that I had just built by blowing it sky high, which was a really fun experience, very rewarding. During our training, we became very effective at building bunkers, and we had a lot of practice blowing them back up, which is a great time. In 2003, we went over to Kuwait and then eventually into Iraq, and we were building temporary bases in the middle of the desert, uh, right just about 10, 15 miles short of the border there. Um, and each base needed bunkers in all four corners just in case a uh, bombing of some type uh, of artillery came down on us. Now, as far as rank was concerned at this time, we were low on the totem pole. We were uh, lance corporals, which is E3, which is fairly low, typically, uh, you know, first two or three years into the uh, service. But because of our experience, because we had shown that we were competent in our job expertise, we were placed in charge over those who had a much higher rank and much more seniority than us. We had shown diligence in our learning, and we had shown quality in our efforts, and we were given a rare privilege. Timothy had been given this same kind of privilege. He had already shown himself to be a quality servant and student. And if he hadn't been, he wouldn't have been given this opportunity. He had shown his potential, and now Paul, his mentor, gives him six areas to focus on as he's growing in his leadership and leading other people in Christ. Now, when he's doing this, as he's focusing in these areas, these would cement in everyone's mind why he was given the position of honor. And in doing so, he's becoming an example to those that he taught and those who followed his leadership. Now, if you've ever wanted to become a better example or a better leader in your home or even at school or with your family or at your job, this list is going to be for you. The six qualities are, as we just read in the verse, to be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Today, I'm going to look at this list and we're going to work through it. So first on the list, he says, to be an example in your word. What we say and what we choose not to say matters a lot. Are we people that choose to gossip about others, believing old wives' tales, as Paul mentioned last time, or are we always searching for the truth? Now, I was once told that gossip is anything that you hear secondhand. If you didn't hear it directly from the source, it becomes gossip. That was the definition that I was told. But the question is, why do we give in to gossip? Well, because it's enticing. We feel like we are in the know, that we are part of the in crowd, that we are informed and we are the ones that know what is going on. Everyone wants to feel this way to some degree, and that is why gossip is so hard to resist. 
And Paul tells Timothy that his speech must be edifying, must be building up, uplifting others instead of tearing them down. The next word he says is that we must be examples in our conduct, in our conduct. Conduct is a simple way to say that the way we go about our lives, it's our actions and what we do, our physical actions. The question is, if people were deaf, if everybody around you all of a sudden became deaf and, they couldn't ex- and you couldn't explain your actions to them, what you did on a daily basis, what conclusions would they draw if they watched you over the course of a week? If you couldn't physically talk to anybody and they can only watch you, what would they draw, what conclusions would they have by watching you over the course of a week? I talk a lot about how our words and our actions go hand in hand. Our words may tell people what we think about, but our actions show them what we believe. So often, maybe all too often, what we do betrays what we have said. As we're not always paying attention to our actions and it reveals our hearts something that we too often try to cover up with smooth words. So the next example that Paul says that we should be is in our love. You may want to take notice that love is the product of both our words and actions combined. Many people talk about doing something. Few act upon it. Paul tells his protege, and he tells us, that we need to show the world what love really is. That love is not just simply acceptance. It's not an infatuation, just like our society would have us believe. But true love points to the truth, and it cares about the end result more than just a temporary joy. All too often, I've found myself not diving into a deep spiritual conversation because I want the person to be happy in the moment. I don't know if you've ever found yourself there. And Jesus is our example here. He was willing to endure the pain because he held eternity in a high regard. What you believe about eternity will be displayed through your actions, the way that you love others. Next, he says, Timothy is to be an example in spirit. This builds off of what I was just talking about. Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be concerned with the spiritual side of life, not just the physical side of life. So to be concerned with the spiritual side is to be concerned with the eternal. When we see the physical, we, can be, we become blinded by the temporal, what we see just temporarily there. Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be concerned with spiritual things. In many ways, the spirit is actually part of his next point, which he says he has to be an example in faith. Paul says that a good example is one who follows Jesus and that others can look up to. So take your faith seriously is really what he's telling Timothy. All too many Christians, you probably know somebody that has a hobby faith. You ever heard the term hobby faith? A faith that is a hobby faith is one that we work on occasionally during the weekends in our spare time with our spare money. You might know a Christian or two that has a hobby faith. But does this describe us? Is your faith a hobby faith or is it a full-time pursuit of Christ? Do you pursue Christ and does it consume you, your pursuit of Christ? Is it an integral part of your day-to-day routine? The last thing that he says is that we should be examples in purity, in purity. Be examples of purity. In a world where moral decline is becoming ever more present, this probably stands more true today than ever before. When the government keeps allowing more and more corruption What was once illegal and shameful is now being placed on a pedestal and touted as tolerance and equity. What are you going to do when this happens? Will you toe the line and follow Christ and what he has set forth? Or will you slowly allow mediocrity into your testimony? 
Last time we talked about how outright lies are easy to spot. We talked about a spoonful of sugar. When you add sugar into a lie, it's so much more easy to swallow down. The question is, how do we keep from allowing these lies to subtly erode the footing that we have in our faith? How do we keep them from finding a way into our lives and slowly sweeping us away like a rising tide? And Paul tells us how, by studying the word. In verse 13, he says these words of instruction. You want to look in your Bible in verse 13. I'll read it aloud. It says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. What is Paul's answer to keeping us away from a slow corruption? Constant uh, Constant focus on the word of truth. Paul is telling Timothy to give attention to and to focus on reading the word. To give a focus on exhorting or explaining the word is a better way of saying that. And of doctrine or teaching of doctrine. He says, read it, explain it, and teach it. Read it, explain it, and teach it. And he goes over that. Now, he just gave us three ways to interact with the word. And at the same time, he also gave us three different levels of interaction or depths of interacting with the word of God. So I'll put this visually because I'm a visual person. Depth number one, which is the simplest depth is uh, getting your feet wet or reading the word. He starts with reading the word. This is a great way to even view our personal studies. If you're just starting out in your faith, maybe your Bible study is just reading the word, just plainly just sitting there and reading it. That's a great place to start. It's where we develop consistency, to develop a habit of being in the word of God regularly. But if the goal is learning to swim We first have to get comfortable with being wet and then slowly edge our way into the water. So the next thing that he says is level number two, which is the waiting level. First you get your feet wet, then you go into waiting, which is the word explained. Having the word explained. As we begin to mature in our Christian faith, we uh, seek out places that will actually explain the word to us not just reading the words at face value, and we start looking for commentaries. We start listening to preachers who will explain it a little bit deeper for us. Unfortunately, most are going to stop here. It's like being in a wave pool. The water level will raise up and down, and you might even get to the end of your comfort level, especially if you don't know how to swim, but your feet will always be able to touch the ground. And if you're in the word regularly and allowing it to be explained, you're going to expand your experience. But if you want to learn to swim... You can't stop here. The final depth that he gives us is depth three, swimming with the waves or studying doctrine. In this analogy, the final depth is actively studying doctrine or you could say deeper teachings and exactly what we believe and why. Paul tells Timothy that he has to be learning and teaching doctrine to the congregation. This is the most difficult to maintain because it's not always easy to understand and it can often lead to more questions. If you've ever tried studying deeper, you're like, well, why does this say this? Well, I don't get this. Why does this say this? You've probably been down that question rabbit trail. However, coming to this level can also be the most rewarding as we learn to swim along with the rising tide of lies that are around us every single day. And this is where we begin to understand the whys and the what's of what we believe. This is where we begin to be able to articulate our faith when others have questions or even differing views. We're able to have competent conversations with them. What he said is, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. 
And this is why we try to dig a little bit deeper here in the sermons in this church, to try to set you up in the best way possible. But your real growth will come when you personally start diving in onto the word on your own. To Timothy, he says these words. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Now at salvation, when we accept Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in bringing along with gifts and abilities that God has for us to use in his service as God has a plan for our lives. This looks slightly different for each and every single one of us, but the purpose remains the same, and that's to glorify God with our lives. In verse 14, Paul says that the eldership has laid hands upon him at the beginning of his ministry. Now, some have taken the words in verse 14, the laying on of hands and getting those gifts as um, a laying on of hands, and then he received those gifts because of that laying on of hands. And this is an incorrect view because this is just symbolically laying on hands saying, we are partnering with you. Timothy received the gifts at salvation. He did not receive the gifts because of the laying on of hands. They were partnering with him in ministry, and they were behind him, lifting him up. In the final verse of this chapter, he brings an appropriate end to our sermon today as he says these words in verses 15 through 16. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. So he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely over to them till the growth that you are experiencing becomes evident to everybody around you. They see you growing. And this is where our growth in Christ comes from, when we give ourselves over to his leading and directing in our lives. We lean into his word and we learn it. We find his written will for our lives. And then he closes this by saying, continue in them for by, do by so doing you will save both yourselves and those who, yourself and those who hear you, sorry. Keeping a focus on the word will keep us from falling from Christ and will lead others to him. Keeping a focus personally on the word will keep us from falling away and will slowly lead others to him. Paul says, pursue Christ. Pursue him with everything and you'll not only change your own life, but you're gonna change the lives of those around you for the better, for the eternal. Now today, I wanna close as I usually do with two questions from the sermon. Number one, is your relationship with Christ a part-time hobby or is it a full-time pursuit? All too often, we push our pursuit of Christ to the weekends, to the days when we have spare time. Is this how you define your relationship with him? The question is, do you want more? Paul has given us a formula to follow today as we've been looking through the word by being willing to read the word regularly and purposely pursue our growth. The second question that I have is this. Which example area of the six that we covered today, word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity, is God working on in you today? We are here because we are still growing. God is daily conforming us to the image of his son more and more. So what area today needs work? And the question is, are you willing to ask for his help as he directs you towards growth? Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for the word today. I thank you for the instruction that Paul has left for Timothy that we can learn and grow from. Father, I ask that you continue just to convict the heart of every single believer here that you would encourage us to not give up in our pursuit of you, but Lord, help us to pursue you daily. 
further and deeper as we are learning to swim deeper in your word. Father, help us to avoid the lies of the world. Help us to pick them out, to shuffle them to the side. And Lord, help us to know your word so well that we can start learning to teach others it, to direct others towards you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity you lay before us. Lord, help us to admit our faults and be humble enough to accept your guidance and instruction. In Jesus' name, amen. Mr. Mike. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.